Hey friends, Pastor Brooks here. I just want to thank you for checking out this podcast and to acknowledge that this teaching was created in collaboration with Practicing the Way and John Mark Homer. They are doing great work to provide discipleship resources for the church, and so we give them our gratitude and encourage you to check them out at practicingtheway.org. For now, enjoy the podcast. Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. I will be reading verses 28 through 30. Hỡi những kẻ mệt mỏi và gánh nặng, hãy đến cùng ta. Ta sẽ cho các ngươi được yên nghỉ. Ta có lòng nhu mì, khiêm nhường. Nên hãy gánh lấy ách của ta và học theo ta, thì linh hồn các ngươi sẽ được yên nghỉ. Vì ách ta dễ chịu và gánh ta nhẹ nhàng. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, uh, we invite you into this space now. We ask that you would speak to us where we are, um, that you would, that you would fill us with just the joy of being in your presence and receiving from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and take a seat, everyone. So by now, uh, many of you know that earlier this year, I started seeing a therapist. And just a side note, I would recommend Christian counseling to everyone. You know, just as, just as we all need physical exercise and a balanced diet for our physical health, we need healthy ways of, of processing our inner life, our mental, emotional, and spiritual health, because it's all connected. So if you've been thinking about it, if you have questions, uh, or if you want to figure out how to go about finding a counselor, please come talk to me after the service. Um, I have been seeing my counselor since April, And it's been a life-changing journey. You know, weaving threads from my past to my present, looking deep into my heart, uncovering and examining wounds, um, and and seeing God's fingerprints all throughout my life. Um, Now, you're going to find this totally ridiculous. uh, But one of the first things I ended up talking to my therapist about, I think this was at our second session, uh, was our dog, Doodle. I came in, and the first thing I had to share was how I snapped out of anger at our poor dog that week. And I knew there was something beneath it. So we, we started talking about the week leading up to that appointment, um, what anxieties might have been in play, Uh, That was still during the early stages of our our third pregnancy. And if you know that story, you'll know it's been a roller coaster all the way through, to say the least. Um, But we talked about the anxiety that that I might have been experiencing that week. We talked about control issues. Uh, We talked about how I dealt with anger in the past. I can be a very angry person. And and how poor Doodle came to be the victim of, of all that anxiety and anger. Um, but after the appointment, I, you know, I continued to reflect 
Um, and I got to thinking about the moments in which I am the most impatient, the most angry, and the most prone to snapping or, or, or lashing out even. Uh, fast forward a couple months, Phoebe is born. Uh, she's still in the hospital, but Amanda is pumping milk now every night. We're in the hospital twice a day, usually early in the morning and then late at night. Um, and so our, our sleep schedule is, is dramatically changed, it's dramatically shortened, even though Phoebe isn't even home with us yet. And in those first couple weeks of her life, it was during those weeks when Amanda and I were the most impatient with each other and with others. It was during that time when we were the quickest to snap at each other, to take extra offense at things the other person would say, and just simply the angriest. And this might not come as a surprise to most of us, but this simple correlation emerged. You know, our impatience and our anger with each other was tied to our physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion. And to boil it down, our ability or inability to love is tied to our physical health. When we are tired, when we are exhausted, or when we're just totally spent and burnt out, we cannot love. Because love requires energy and tremendous amounts of it. And so when we are tired, logically speaking, we cannot love. Hold that thought, because I want to pivot, but it'll all come together, I promise. Uh, take a moment and consider this. When do you make the worst decisions? When do you make the worst decisions? Is it when you are healthy, full of energy and thinking clearly? Or is it when you are tired and exhausted and you can't think as clearly? Do you make the worst decisions at the start of the day, after a good night's sleep, at the beginning of a beautiful new day, perhaps with a cup of coffee and breakfast? Or is it usually at the end of a long day or a week? Who here has ever binged an entire Netflix series starting at 10 p.m.? You know, who here has ever laid in bed shopping online at midnight? I mean, I don't think we do that because we're trying to make good decisions. I mean, let's, let's take it a step further. When do we sin the most? You know, I already talked about my anger uh, but, but when do you usually snap at people or even just shut people out? Isn't it usually when you're tired or when you just have no more energy to extend patience and grace? When do you usually watch porn? Is it after church on a Sunday afternoon? Is it after you've been out hanging out with Pastor Brooks? Or is it usually late at night when your capacity for self-control is at its lowest because you're simply too tired to put up a fight. And when do you usually indulge in alcohol? Is it not late at night? Either maybe partially as a result of peer pressure from your friend group or even alone by yourself. And so here's another simple correlation. Our ability to make good, wise, and right decisions is impaired when we're tired. 
And we know that our, our spiritual formation, us becoming more and more like Jesus, depends a lot on the decisions and choices that we make in every single moment of our lives. So our, our ability for self-control drops dramatically when we're tired, hence the late night binges. And so to boil it down again, we sin the most when we are tired. Now, Let's tie it all together to see the big issues at hand. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to read from verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus makes it pretty clear. The greatest commandment is love. Love for God and love for those around us. For Jesus, this is the goal. He tells his disciples that this is how people will know that we are his followers. Our love. Love is the ultimate measure of our spiritual growth. It's not Bible knowledge. It's not how much we pray, although these things are inevitable byproducts. It's our love. And so we arrive at the great problem. We simply cannot be loving people when we're tired. Our constant busyness and hurry reveals that we are not loving ourselves, but we also cannot love God or people. When we are tired, we are more prone to sin. We cannot love God. Furthermore, when we are tired, exhausted, and hurried, we simply have no time to be with God. No time to know him, no time to enjoy him, no time to receive and to be filled by him, let alone be formed and transformed by him. This is why Dallas Willard writes that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. We have no time to be with Jesus, let alone become the people he invites us to be. We have no time for soul-filling, transforming relationship. And instead, we nestle ourselves in cycles of stagnancy, burnout, and spiritual deformation. When we are tired, we cannot love people. Because let's face it, to really, truly love people is very hard. But our lives leave very little capacity for real love. Tiredness and exhaustion cut us off from God. It kills us slowly and ultimately hurts others because we cannot be people of love and peace. But then it gets worse. It will get better, don't worry, but then it gets worse. Uh, unfortunately, this is, this is the norm. This is life as we know it. You know, physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion today is the norm. For many of us, this is life as we know it. This is our experience. The most common response when I ask someone, hey, how are you doing, has become tired. Sometimes even tired as usual. 
And this, this isn't meant to call anyone out per se, but I will say that the same people fall asleep here every Sunday morning. You know, exhaustion is the norm. And sadly, by extension, a life away from deep love, from deep communion with Jesus, has therefore become the norm. If tiredness cuts us off from loving relationship with God and with others, if it cuts us off from spiritual formation and having Christ formed in us, and if it has become the norm, then it's no wonder that life to the full is a hopeless dream. Life to the half or less is now our norm. And we know this. We feel it. And I would say the culture at large knows it too. Which is why comfort has become such a commodity. You know, in an effort to soothe the tiredness, the exhaustion, uh, and ache for rest, secular culture offers us a whole range of quote-unquote comforts. And so I would say comfort has become an idol. I'll give you some examples. Um, Today is particularly beautiful because we have members from our, our Vietnamese ministry sitting in with us. Um, so I really don't want to step on any toes here. Uh, but this is a predominantly Asian American church. How many of us have heard the phrase, I sacrifice, I struggle, and I work hard so that you don't have to? We know the narrative. You know, study hard, go to college, get a good job, and or invest or make a lot of money somehow, so that you can live comfortably and enjoy the things that I could not have. Perhaps born out of a lifetime of struggle and the wounds that result, comfort has become an idol. But ironically, the road to that comfort, work, hustle, work, hustle, that ensures that we never rest. You know, and, and so this search for comfort, we see this pervade all of modern Western culture too. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about vision, intention, and method, right? We all live out a vision, intention, and method. Our vision is comfort and ease, security. You might call it rest. Our intention, yes, we want it. But the problem becomes our method. Work hard now so that you can have comfort and rest later. The, the problem is, work culture is literally killing us. You know, we literally can't stop. Maybe until we've retired. But unfortunately, when you're old enough to retire, you might not even be able to enjoy the things you wanted to. And so my question personally is, do I really have to wait until I'm 65 to rest? You know, and, and as we climb those, those ladders of success, we never actually find peace. I think we'll find that we only want more. And it's an endless cycle. You know, we, we, hear, we hear the success stories, but we never hear about the sacrifices. We hear about these amazing startups and, and the people who start them, but we never hear about the failed marriages, the divorce, the broken families. The fact that there's just no time to actually enjoy the things you love with the people you love. Or how about our distractions? Our, our Netflix binges at the end of the day 
really end up only being drugs that give us a quick hit. You know, we feel at ease in the moment, and we think that's rest, but in reality, we're only distracted. And in the end, it only depletes and ruins our sleep schedules, as many of us know, and it fills our minds with, with garbage, depending on what you watch, and ultimately eats up any time for relationship with God or others. And so we want rest. We crave rest. Our body, mind, heart, and soul literally groan and cry out for rest. But all of our methods for rest are, are counterfeits. They're all out of whack. And here's the proof. We're still tired. So let's, let's stop and ask ourselves this. Is this really how life is supposed to be? Is this, is this really what I have to look forward to for the next 40 years? And little Andy just walked into the room. Andy's like, is this the next 50 years of my life? I mean, it appears to be the norm. The narratives we believe seem to constantly preach work, hustle, play hard, work, hustle, but the work, hustle, play maybe, work, 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 lose, 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 and then retire. And so we might be conditioned to say, yes, yes, this is the norm, I guess. But Jesus says, no, you were not created for this. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes that we might have life. And not life to the half, not partial life, but life to the full. And this is the promise of Jesus Christ. So, let's take stock. We are tired, we are exhausted, but it's become the norm. But at the same time, our souls crave rest. Jesus' will for your life is not constant exhaustion, busyness, sleep deprivation, unhappiness, and joylessness. It's not a life without any space or wiggle room or margin. And we know the need for rest is wired into all of us. Furthermore, in order to live a life of love, we need rest. Our vision here in this community is to lead lives pointed by Jesus in order to then lead lives that point to Jesus. To do that, we need rest. And so if there is a creator who who wired us all to need and to desire rest, then perhaps this same creator would provide a way to have rest. Perhaps this creator even designed life and its rhythms to center on rest. And perhaps this very creator knows our deep need for rest, maybe even better, probably even better than we do, and therefore has the best possible solution. So what is God's solution? What is the bedrock and springboard for a life that cultivates and makes space for rest? What is the pathway to, to, life, to the full life that Jesus promises? 
How do we begin to live into his invitation to come and rest, as we read in Matthew? It's Sabbath. If you remember back to January, uh, we, we started the year by spending one week talking and teaching on Sabbath. Now we're going to do four. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into Sabbath and practicing it together as a community. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. And even to rest, delight, and worship. We'll start with the concept of stopping today, and then move into rest, and then delight, and worship in the coming weeks. But today, let's just stop. So grab your Bibles again and, and turn with me this time to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'm just going to read a bit from the beginning. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Friends, uh, notice this. God Sabbathed. God stopped and rested. Some of you are thinking, well, I just have too much on my plate right now at work, and if I stop now, I'll just drown, all the deadlines will pile up. God, the creator of the universe, Sabbathed. But I have five tests this week. It's finals week coming up. God Sabbathed. But my kids are nonstop and they're kind of crazy. God, Sabbath. Friends, from the very dawn of time, God actually builds a life rhythm into the fabric of creation. He sets a rhythm for us. Work six days out of the week, but stop and rest on the seventh. And notice this. Notice that he creates humans on the sixth day, which means that on their first day, the seventh day of creation, was a day of rest. Humankind's first day on earth was a day of rest. And everything else comes out of that. And so for God, rest is at the center. Pastor and writer John Mark Comer points out, it comes as no surprise that every single society in the history of world civilization has been built around a seven-day week. Even though the week is the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of the stars, the day is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation, the month to the moon's lunar cycle, and the year to the Earth's journey around the sun. But the seven-day week is not. The seven-day week is built out of God's own life rhythm. God creates and sets this rhythm for living for us. And it is very good. And so when we, when we live our lives without Sabbath, 
we're actually going against God's good rhythm. It's like gears grinding. And it's when we try to go against this rhythm that we suffer. Chronic tiredness and exhaustion, anxiety, stress, burnout. We trash our health and our relationships with God and with people suffer. And ultimately, we, we lose a part of our humanity. You know, we, we become machines to be worked rather than people to be loved and cared for. Friends, we are not machines. Our, our work, hustle, culture might try to fashion us into machines, but we are not machines. We have souls, and we need rest. It's when we live in sync with God's good rhythm, when we Sabbath, forming our life rhythms around stopping, resting, delighting in God, and worshiping God, that we reap benefits in more ways than just one. Did you know, studies show that in general, Christians are happier than non-Christians. But furthermore, a study found that Christians who practice Sabbath are not only happier, but they also live 11 years longer than other Americans. If you think about it, if you practice Sabbath one day out of the week, that amounts to a seventh of your life. A seventh of your life devoted to deep rest in God. And that sounds pretty amazing to me. And that's just the physical benefit. We haven't even begun to talk about the relational benefits, both with God and people. But think about it. What if you weren't tired going into all of your social interactions and relationships? What if you had the energy to love sacrificially? What if you weren't totally depleted and your schedule wasn't completely jam-packed and you could actually start your day with Jesus, walk with Jesus throughout the day, and then end your day with Jesus? And what if you had the space to live and enjoy his love for you? When we choose to live within God's good rhythm, in sync with his beautiful design, beautiful things happen. But when we fight against his rhythm, we face the consequences. Many of us are currently living with those consequences. And so this is why God, being rich in mercy and abounding in love, must later command it. Turn with me now to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll pick it up at verse 8. Some of you probably memorized this. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath. We've established 
that Sabbath is at the center of God's life rhythm and that it is a good rhythm. But here we see that it becomes a commandment. Rest becomes a command. And notice how it's actually the longest and most specific of all ten commandments. It's like God knew we'd have a really hard time with it. How did did he know? The thing that's easy to miss here is that before Sabbath became that fourth commandment, it was a gift. Sabbath is first and foremost a gift. But now it's suddenly quite possibly the commandment that we break the most. And unfortunately, we are the ones who end up losing out. This is when it's like totally not cool to be a rebel. Like we lose out big time. Friends, Sabbath is a command given from a loving God to his beloved people. But before that, it is a gift. Most of the time, we are just too content in life merely surviving. But God's rhythm is a rhythm for thriving. This is why Jesus says the Sabbath was made for people. And so God commands, remember the Sabbath. Now the question is, what do we remember? What do we remember on Sabbath? First, we remember that there is a creator God who is good and that we live in his world. We remember that he created a life rhythm that is good, a rhythm that is for us and for our good and for the good of others, and that we flourish when we live in sync with his rhythm. Second, we remember our identity. We remember who we really are. We remember that we are God's beloved. This is our deepest and truest identity. We are loved by him, and Sabbath is a gift that God gives to his beloved. We remember that we are not defined by our jobs, by our wealth, by our accomplishments, by our grades, or by our status. We are not what we do, and we are not what other people think of us. We are God's beloved. Sabbath reminds us of this beautiful truth. You are loved by God. Closely linked is this. We remember that we do not stop when we are finished because the reality is that we will never be finished. There will always be work to do. There will always be things to take care of. There will always be expectations, deadlines to meet, tasks to complete, tests to study for. And if we wait for all of these things to stop, we will never stop. But we choose to stop because we choose God's rhythm over the societal demands, the cultural pressures, and the taskmasters that want to exert rule over our lives. 
And lastly, we remember that our rightful response to God is gratitude. We remember to give thanks to the one who is worthy of all of our thanksgiving and praise, knowing that all that we have comes from a good God and that gratitude is at the root of a life of joy. So to conclude, I want to be real with you. As much as Sabbath is a part of an ancient life rhythm going back to the very dawn of creation, as much as it is a rhythm established by God in this day and age, it's radical. It goes against the grain of our current culture and pace. Unless you're a devout practicing Jew or a Seventh-day Adventist, Sabbath is not normal. Stopping is not normal. Saying no to more is not normal. And so sadly, restfulness is not normal. Peace is not normal. Chaos dominates both our internal and external world. But here's the truth. Sabbath doesn't have to be just some amazing idea that would be nice if it were possible. Like, we don't have to say, well, that sounds great, but it just doesn't seem possible. Like, friends, it is possible. It's totally possible. God wouldn't leave that gift there if we could not receive it. But we must realize that Sabbath is a practice. Practice. It's something that must be learned and practiced. And as we do so, we will feel resistance because it's radical and not normal. It goes against the way we've lived our lives quite possibly up until this point. For some of us, that's 10 years. For some of us, that's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of our lives. But when we begin to recalibrate our life rhythms, when we reorient our lives around God's rhythm, around Sabbath, when we live out of our rest and not out of our work, we'll find that we begin to experience internal shifts. Shifts from restlessness to restfulness. From hurry and anxiety to calm and peace. From busyness to space and margin. From chaos to serenity, and ultimately from distance from God to intimacy and real relationship with him. Because that is the goal. Sabbath isn't the end. Relationship with God is the goal. Sabbath is merely the pathway. What begins as one day begins to change our whole spirit and our whole lives. Theologian Walter Brueggemann writes, People who Sabbath live all seven days differently. And it's true. Now, I'll admit, when I first started practicing Sabbath, it was really hard. First, I thought, wow, how could I forget that rest was a command from God? That's awesome. He's so good. But then I found that truly resting was actually really, really hard. Sabbath is really, really hard at first. I had to learn to say no to the pile of work that seemed to never disappear. 
I had to learn to say no to email, to social media, and to my phone altogether. On, on, on Sabbath days, my, my phone usually ends up set to do not disturb, and it, it spends the whole day locked away in a drawer. I had to examine the things that I do for fun, even, and, and cut out what actually wasn't restful and life-giving. As it is with all growth, some things just have to be cut and pruned out of our lives. But over time, as I practice this, the release changed my life. Over time, as I learned to give these things over to God, as I simply surrendered to his invitation to rest, all of the clutter, all of the things, all of these things began to lose their grip on me. And I began to taste freedom. And there's still a really long way to go, but it's been a beautiful start to a lifetime journey. I experienced full days without once checking email. My dad's sitting there. He's probably frustrated at the fact that he doesn't get replies to text messages. But full days without once checking email and therefore never once being interrupted by work. I experienced freedom from the need to always be on my phone, to always have it on my body. And so I became more present with Amanda. I became more present with my friends and my family and to God. As I cut out activities that weren't life-giving, I began to realize what was truly important in life. And so I speak from experience when I say that Sabbath changed my life. And all along, this was God's intended rhythm. It has led to greater freedom and more rest for my soul. And it has led me back to this truth. God is good. His vision for the good life is perfect. And his rhythm for life is good. And it's led to greater intimacy with him. For Amanda and me, Sabbath is easily the highlight of our week. It's the best. Friends, we don't have to lead lives of constant tiredness and exhaustion. We don't have to live on the edge of burnout. And if we're already there, there is a way out. We do not have to be constant slaves to taskmasters, societal pressures, anxieties, and stress. Wherever you are right now, you can begin to practice Sabbath. You can begin to step into God's rest, to enjoy the gift that's always been there. It will be difficult at first, no doubt. But this is why we will be taking this on as a community. Over the next several weeks, following these teachings, we will meet in our small groups throughout the week to share a meal together, to break bread and enjoy fellowship. We'll discuss and talk about the promises as well as the challenges of Sabbath. And then we'll, we'll practice together. It's like having a workout buddy. We'll each start where we're at and begin to practice Sabbath, taking real steps to commit to stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. 
And as we do so, we will reflect on our journeys with all of its ups and downs together. Friends, we all, we can all live into God's good rhythm. Rest is a gift from our Heavenly Father. Sabbath is a gift from the God of grace given to his beloved. And so let us stop. Let us breathe. And let us receive it. Let's stand and pray. Father God, we know that you are a good God and we are so thankful. We thank you for the gift of rest. And we thank you for the fact that that this is how you created life. This is your life rhythm. This was woven into the fabric of creation from the beginning. And so would you lead us to let go? Would you lead us to surrender to your invitation to rest? And as we do so, we invite you to do the deep work of filling our souls and nourishing us and caring for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.